I'm Stephen Gordon, and you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of the Speculist weblog. You can find us on the Internet at speculist.com, or if you want to go straight to the blog, go to blog.speculist.com. On both the blog and this podcast, we talk about the future, emerging technologies, and opportunities that we're excited to live to see. Tonight, for the first time, I have co-hosting with me Michael Darling. Michael has been a friend of the Speculus Weblog for quite a while now, and I'm eager to get his take on all the topics we're going to cover tonight. How are you doing tonight, Michael? I'm good. I'm I'm in a nice warm place watching uh, the very tail end of the Green Bay football game where it's a nice cold place. I, I was watching a bit of that at the beginning, and um, they were saying it was like the third coldest NFL game on record. Can you imagine that kickoff, and it's still, it was getting colder all during the game. Oh man! And some of those, and what was it? Green Bay that had no shirt sleeves on? A lot of guys are uh, bare armed, and I think I think in part it's like at that temperature you can't wear much anyway. <laughs> but I think it's also the mental thing when you line up across the guy and he's half naked. It's like what the yeah. heck is this? Guy? <laughs> <laughs> these guys are crazy. We got to watch right. out for these guys. Well, yeah, I think it was Green Bay, and of course uh, New York. Uh, is it the New York Giants? It's the Giants, and uh, they uh, had shirt sleeves on it. So, anyway, how what's the score at this point? Uh, they're tied uh, with four seconds to go in the fourth quarter, and uh, the Giants have the ball, and they're in field goal range, lining up the kick. Okay, well, so, I mean, it's, it's if they uh, if they get this field goal, it may be it, huh? If they get this field goal and there's no flag or anything, it's uh, they're going to the Super Bowl. Well, I'm not watching, so you make sure break in and let me know uh, who won that. Now, of course, uh, the Patriots won. And whoever wins this game is going to meet the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Is that that's right? right. Okay, and that's that happens right. on, what, February the 4th? I uh, it's two weeks from today, whenever that is. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, anyway, uh, let, do let us know. Phil is traveling tonight, and uh, he has promised to join us later in the show, if at all possible, and I hope he does because, uh, uh, well, he's seen Cloverfield, and I want to hear in person <laughs> what, he, what he thought about that movie. Michael, did you happen to see it? I have seen coming attractions. I have read reviews all across the map, from the worst thing to the best thing to totally cool to totally stupid. Well, so I'm, I'm, now my curiosity is completely peaked. I can I can kind of understand. I mean, everybody knows what the the the, uh, the conceit is, or the you know what the gimmick is. This is all found footage, supposedly. So it's, a, it's somebody's camcorder. The entire movie is a camcorder. And, you know, you got shaky cam the whole time. I mean, you're sitting there, and if you're one that gets, you know, car sick or something, that's going to, you're going to, you're not going to feel good while watching this movie. Don't sit on, don't sit on the front row. Uh, and, uh, you know, particularly if you're, if you're down at a bunch of popcorn, you will lose it. Sit on the back row, I guess, is the thing to do with something like this. But um, Well, the, uh, the shaky cam, I think, has the potential to work both ways. Because it, in, in a film where, I actually want to forget there's a cameraman. Right. Uh, you know, I am legend. I wanted to forget there was a cameraman, and I couldn't quite do it. Right. Partly because it was so visually cool to look at. Um, it just kept reminding me that somebody's there filming Will Smith and the dog. But 
um, in a film where I don't care. It's like somebody's got to film the dang thing, and I'm not really that worried about that aspect of the fourth wall. Uh, the shaky cam can work because, you know, you could be you could be going, no, pad left, yeah, what are you doing? Because you want to see what's there. Well, one reviewer I read said one of the cool things was that, you know, the guy's looking at this in this direction, and he's filming something, and you don't really get to see what you really want to see, maybe. And you're, you're like using body English to try to get him to, you know, turn in the right direction. And then he, you know, he'll, he'll flip the camera around because he's running trying to save his skin, you know. And when he turns around and goes the other way, he, you know, does a 180 jerk around, you know. But what what don't you see when he does that and starts running is a camera that's, crew that's behind. That's exactly right. There's no that's camera exactly crew right. there. And so, I, you know, that's that's pretty daring film work. And, I, I, you know, how in the world they, they managed to do it is you know, I'd, obviously they got their secrets on that, but that's uh, it's. I, I guess I'm looking forward to seeing it. If I, I I'll take my drama mean before I go in. And, yeah, uh, just uh, not to deviate onto film for the too long, but I just saw Deja Vu, and I realized that's like you know more than a year old or whatever. So most people saw it when it was in the theater, but I got two little kids, so I see stuff in the theater that little kids can see, and I see everything <laughs> else late night when they're in bed on DVD later. Um, and I had read something about Deja Vu where the guy made a comment, one of the coolest car chases uh, that ever was on film. And when I saw it, I realized what he's referring to is the sequence where uh, uh, Denzel uh, has that device on, and so you get like a split-screen concept where they're really chasing the guy four and a half days in the past, but he's driving in the present. And that was totally cool. But there were times where I was like, yeah, but they're not showing us what I really want to see. I want the camera to go somewhere else. I want that little guy with the joystick to go, hey, give me the, give me the God's eye view right now. And, you know, zoom around, which, you know. He really couldn't do. Out, in, in order to maintain the, the, the fourth wall, they couldn't do that. That's right. Okay. That's right. Well, I mean, I, that's, I guess that's one I need to get around to see. And I'm, I'm kind of like you. I got... I, I've got I've got four kids. I've got four kids. I uh, I would say this too. I mean, not that the internet is the repository of all things geeky and wise, but I fully expected if there were significant temporal discontinuities uh, in that film, which has something to do with some temporal displacements, yeah, um, that those would be revealed. And the ones I found, I, I'd quibble that I, I'd say a they're quibbles if they're even true, and I'm not even sure they're true. Yeah, I, I, it's just it's just it's coherent and it hangs together. It's well done. Um, it, I, I liked it all the way across for what it is. Um, there's one with Sandra Bullock that's just awful because it doesn't hang together. Uh, oh. What was the name? Premonition. Of that? Premonition. It was awful. I've got. I just got that DVD. It's on my shelf. I was thinking that. Oh, uh, you're gonna hate it. This you're week, gonna hate but... it. Um, you know, as, as much as you like the Denzel movie, you're probably gonna hate this one because it just makes no sense at all. They don't. They don't play by their own rules. They set up the rules a certain way, and then they just throw it out about halfway into the movie. And, you know, that's not cool. And then, of course, no, this it, final it, statement. There's the got to be a coherence. Yeah, it has to be. It, it, in these things, I mean, you know, it's, it's silly, it's entertaining, but still, if you set rules, you better, you better live by them. And uh, if not, then you're going to take away from the audience's enjoyment. That's so. right. And, if, if, and, you know, there are some things that are timeless, even in a, in a, uh, a movie about, Temporal distortions, and that you know the star, the star actress could get naked, and that would always sort of save that part of the film. <laughs> but apparently, that doesn't happen in this one either. So now my my bar is low for this film. Yeah, for premonition. Yeah. Yes. 
No, there's, there's nothing. Not, there's nothing there that saves that movie, and it's a shame because I like that actress. I like Sandra Bullock in a lot of things. Yep. Anyway, I guess we should get into uh, some actual stories tonight, <laughs> and um, you know we'll get back into movies here in a little while, especially Phil calls in about the Cloverfield and everything. But what I wanted to get into a little bit last week, our big deal was you know the life extension story that we had, and um, Phil kind of uh, you know after you know this week he got uh, out there and you know looked out on and, and saw that there was actually some other things that were going on that kind of connected to what we were talking about before. And uh, he wrote a, uh, wrote a story about Methuselah yeast. And uh, anyway, on, on that front, uh, scientists uh, at USC have produced a strain of yeast that lives 10 weeks. Now, they're saying that that lifespan they describe as being the equivalent of 800 years in human terms. And I think we can there, – there's reason to quibble with that probably. Michael, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, it's uh, it's the uh, the equation. I'm sure it's like that cartoon where you have the complicated math on the upper left of the chalkboard, and then sort of a little diagram in the center that's very simple, and over to the right, some more complicated math, and the diagram in the center in the center just says, and and here a miracle occurs. You're like, yeah, it's not exactly math. So the <laughs> translation from you know, you was that a far side cartoon? I think I saw that. I, I don't think that's a far side cartoon. I think that was somewhere else, but I just saw it again recently, and it cracked me up again. So I'm like, yeah. you know what? <laughs> that has huge relevance. Yeah. But um, it, it, it's the it, it, to me to say, hey, a, a yeast that would ordinarily live uh, eight days, or I don't know, I guess seven days, now lives seventy days. It translates to a human being living eight hundred years. I get that it's similar magnitude, but I don't know that you can really make such a clean comparison well because you know people aren't yeast and yeast aren't people I, you know a, the cool thing though i guess is that there is some uh, you know uh, crossover there are genes in yeast uh that believe it or not although people in yeast are separated by you know i don't know billions of years of uh, evolution there are there there are genes in yeast that would translate to humans and vice versa and uh, so, anyway, it's it's cool. What they did was to get these yeast to live so long was they uh, did a little genetic tinkering, and then they uh, withheld the food. It was calorie right. restriction too, and uh, they got them to live this long. And th- you know, the cool thing is that they they have found a human population in Ecuador apparently that possess a similar mutation. Now, unfortunately for the people that have this. Um, it's not necessarily a great thing if you have both copies of the mutation, apparently from both parents. It doesn't, it doesn't work so well. It gives it's it's a disease, it's mutant disease of some sort, um, causes all kinds of health problems. But if you only have one copy, uh, it, it apparently protects people from cancer. And uh, I'd like to know, you know, here's my thing with it: if if you only have one copy of it, and you're you're one of the lucky ones, and uh, you know. Is there some really old Ecuadorian living somewhere in some remote village that we don't know about? Uh, like twenty uh, generations of descendants and neighbors yeah. know about. Yeah, you need to. Somebody you, else does. Yeah, you go walking into one of these remote villages somewhere in Ecuador and, and saying, you know, start talking about uh, longevity and oh yeah, you you really need to uh, meet my great 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 grandfather Joe over here in the hut. Uh, 
that would, I mean, that, that would kind of blow the top out of this, wouldn't it? But apparently, I they're... think uh, I think that's a uh, that's the concept exactly. <laughs> and uh, I also think that if if someone somewhere had done it, now I, I am a Sasquatch disbeliever, but yeah. if someone somewhere was that old, I think we would already know. Yeah, maybe not. Probably. But I, I it depends on how remote they li- uh, their lives as well. Yeah, that's I, right. I uh, exactly. It's a it's a great concept for a novel or a science fiction show, though, right? And uh, I would like I would yes. love to see that made into a movie. But Although, I'm not holding my breath I, for it either. I mean, I I, I and we're gonna maybe get to this in, in a way that uh, I'll get to reference it again because I've been sort of stuck on this idea the last couple of weeks that uh, that Tesla was a time traveler because the guy invented everything and there's no way that you could have invented it in the 19th or even the earliest 20 early 20th century it's impossible he 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 and you know that to exaggerate my my awe of what he accomplished it's it's easy to say oh he was a time traveler and that's how he did it <laughs> but the truth is he could travel through a lot of parts of time if he wasn't traveling geographically at the same time um large chunks of time would look essentially the same so you're you're you know 600 year old Ecuadorian um, to a, a large part of his existence, not much would have changed. Until the last. And you go, what do you remember? He's like, yeah, it's been like this forever. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, people live, people die, and uh, you know, you know, people are born, they grow up, they get you know, they get married, they have kids, they die, and, uh, and over and over and over again, and not much change in in between there. And until about the last hundred years, things started getting a little interesting, probably, but. Yes, yes, and that's that's why I say if uh, if he was there, we already know about it because somebody would have come back and said, "Hey, this guy's real." Yeah, there'd be a, there'd be he'd have his YouTube video, <laughs> no doubt. Well, the other uh, the other time traveler is uh, Leonardo da Vinci, right? So that's right. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, the alternative, of course, is that the, these guys were just incredible geniuses. But anyway, oh, and that they happen. I mean, uh, there, there's another component there where they think of things and they get published. Or they actually build the thing they thought of. I mean, in Da Vinci's case, he left a lot of drawings and documents that that we can reference and go, yeah, he never built that thing, but it's it, it is what it is and it's cool. Tesla, he didn't build everything he thought of, we don't think, but he left a lot of documents that we don't really have access to. But on the other hand, if he didn't build anything or he didn't publish it, he just thought it up. We'd he'd live and die, we'd never know. Yeah. And I suspect there's others of that intellectual capacity, and we just don't know about them because they didn't publish and they don't get their YouTube video. You know, I wonder if he and Edison had been had remained partners. You know, when when Tesla came to the United States, he was like straight off the boat, barely knew English. You know, and he went to work for Edison for a time. And Edison, well, according to Tesla, kind of screwed him over. And yeah. Tesla went out on his own, and uh, and they sort of were in competition for the remainder of their lives. And Tesla died penniless, and Edison was very wealthy. Um, at the end of his, at the, you know, at the end of that competition, it didn't really work out so well for Tesla. But uh, you know, as, as the years have gone by, we, you know, we have the benefit of looking back at what Tesla accomplished, and uh, you know, he, in some ways, he, he seems like the greater genius, doesn't he? Well, and that's uh, I saw the story this past week. It was the, sort of the definitive of, of current day summary of Alexander Graham Bell. Um, and concludes that basically the idea that finally got his version of the telephone to work, he stole from somebody else, not Tesla, um, but um, borrowed that idea or boosted the idea uh, and then got his telephone to work, but he didn't really do it. It's like, yeah, 
you go you go look through what little documentation relative to what is supposedly Tesla created. Um, you go look through the documentation that's available, and that guy was thinking of all manner of things. Yeah. Which I mean, I was thinking about it again because this Star Trek convention list that uh, that Phil put up from the the uh, the network network world 10 best star trek conventions of you know that have actually come to pass or whatever the list was oh yeah um and there's one in there where it was uh it was a basically a, a, a energy weapon not a, a projectile weapon and this is based on uh early research and concepts from tesla i'm like yeah because the guy's a time traveler <laughs> yeah he, he saw star trek for, for real um, hey, w- w- let's go through the uh, some of those inventions since we since you brought up the list. Um, um, well, let me say this about the list first. Okay, they go ahead. put some things on the list that that shouldn't be there. Well, and, the big uh, thing the big thing that shouldn't be there that jumped out at me is the photon torpedo coffin. That's not an invention. Yeah. That's a prop. That's right. It's it's a it's a marketing device. It's it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's a uh, box that looks yeah. like it was something, but it wasn't. It's it, it's no more high tech than a uh, you know one of those colored T-shirts with a Delta symbol on the side on, on the. It's, on the it's no more high tech than the actual prop they used in the movie, and that's just fifteen years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, which yeah, was that, my some of my that was my complaint on a couple of the other things that Vosera badge, um, which actually does start to look like the Star Trek communicator because you can wear it as a lapel pin or a little device close to your face. Um, I saw that demonstrated, I don't know, five years ago. Yeah. And it was, it's no different now. It's slightly more functional. Um, and they've improved in some ways, but that thing's not new. That's, that's at least five years old. Well, the Star Trek communicator, to me, the, the ultimate that we have, you know, right now is just the, what, the flip phone, basically, you know. Yeah. Uh, that, that looks a whole lot like the, uh, the communicators they used in the original series. So, and of course, it's a lot more handy than that that chess communicator that you that you tap. That thing only works if you're in a Wi-Fi area. You know, if you're yeah, you know, you'd make it. Uh, the tap also bothers me. I'm like, yeah, can't you make it voice activated? <laughs> I mean, if I if I want to go hands off and and do something, you got to give me another way to turn it on. Yeah, it's interesting in the series uh, in the next generation series. For a time, it was a tap thing. Okay. But then there was other occasions where they just started talking, and it, and it worked that way, too. Apparently, the, uh, well, the communicator was smart enough to know what to communicate. That's right. You also get the distinct impression that there are entire uh, segments of events or se- sequences of events that are being recorded by all manner of recording device. And so somebody somewhere, maybe it's that computer, is monitoring the conversation. It's like, well, can't, can't somebody just jump in when you want to talk to them? <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's, I do that's want to list off these. I do want to list off these things, and I want us to, you know, discuss as to which one is like the best, as far as the closest that's to Star exactly Trek. That's exactly how I did that. That's how exactly how I went through the list. What's okay, the best right. thing on here. But I still want to. I want to complain about two other ones they included. <laughs> well, I'll give you. I'll give you a chance to complain. But I want to. Let me list off these things. Okay, first is the MIT's tractor beam. Okay, now, uh, this is not like tractor beam, like uh, pulling in, you know, other spaceships or something. This is happening in the small scale, moving things around with light so that you can manipulate things under a microscope. 
pretty cool, though. Um, Highly cool. Yes. I put that uh, very, very, very close to the top of the list of for coolness of that list. And why do you? Um, because you think of light as not a way to capture anything other than, for example, absence of light, like shadow, but to actually use it as it, as they apparently are as what the only way I can describe it as like a magnet. You go, how the heck? It's just, it's astonishing science. And yes, they're doing it at the molecular level. They're doing it with very small things, which is cool. But that could be, yeah, that could be more important to us than bringing in starships, though, right? That's right. Because um, you could build things with it, perhaps. Um, You could, you know, that could be eventually you could have a nano factory that works on some principle like that. Who knows? You know, we just don't know how, what the end of that will be, but that's, uh, to me, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. All true. Yeah. Uh, University of Washington uh, has come up with a, a medical tricorder, apparently. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I get the sense it's more of a, a handheld ultrasound. Cool in its way. Not, yeah. not a bad thing. Well, and uh, you just, uh, you know, apparently you can scan people. Uh, and You know, a, hand, a handheld ultrasound, you get it small enough where you can you could literally use it all the time. Uh, you know, a doctor could just have it with him all the time. That's... That's important stuff there. So, yeah, that's yep. cool. Um, yeah, I, I, you and I agree that fo- photon torpedo coffin needs to be chunked. That's not... That's, that shouldn't be on the list. It's that's not even a, prop. a technological advantage. Yeah. I think they just added that so that they'd have ten. Um, or they'd have something very Star Trek-y. I mean, it's totally yeah. Star Trek-y, but it's not technological. Well, I suppose if you wanted to take your geekiness with you, you know, <laughs> you know when you go, uh, that that's that's one thing you could do. I mean, but it's, it, it's I would still. say it's the low-budget way to take your geekiness with you, because if you really were going to blow the budget on it, you'd, like, build a mock-up of the Starship Enterprise and be buried in that, be buried on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or do what uh, they do with uh, uh, Scotty, you know. <laughs> they took his ashes into outer space, you know. So that's, anyway, yeah. There's, there's, there's probably better ways to do that. Okay, then there's Purdue's cloaking device. Now this was cool to me, not necessarily because it's going to change the world necessarily, but um, they're out there. Yeah, you know, that kind of that kind of complicated manipulation of light in all dimensions simultaneously, wicked cool. Yeah, uh, this. I mean, they had tanks out there. They're they're making invisible. Um, and I'd like to know just how invisible are you getting them? Is it if you, if you drill down into that story about the tank, the the guy they quote says we're going to field an invisible tank by 2012. That's just right. Like the that's that's like I mean that means they're basically testing it now. Right. And, and how, just and working out the the details. And, and, and are, are we talking like a tank that's like uh, you know uh, you know Predator, you know that level yeah. of visibility where you, you know you can. Kind of see a little waviness, you know. Are we talking like something like that, or is it like Invisible Man, Invisible, where you don't see anything? Well, this, this is where and what I'd like to know how military types and DARPA types never talk, because the obvious question would be, well, if it's visible and I'm looking at it from this direction, does that mean that you're 90 degrees away in perspective and it's still invisible to you? Because the background could be dramatically different. Right. Exactly. Right? Now, part three to that is, is it invisible to radar? Is it, invis- is it invisible in the infrared? Is it invisible in every other military uh, imaging application so that as you look at it, you go, yeah, I can't see it, but it doesn't matter. I can still shoot it because my, my weapon can see it. Well, after we get the invisible tank, the next step, obviously, is inv- invisible infantry, infantry men. <laughs> That's right. Uh, soldiers on the ground, and uh, that's you know, pretty cool stuff. And so I'm... 
I'm anxious to see just how how effective that is uh, in the field. That's pretty cool. Okay, hyperdrive. Well, that's uh, apparently there's there's at least one uh, the physicist uh, that's published uh, something that would you know create the possibility of faster than light travel. I you know that would be the coolest thing in the world if it works out and. Uh, hey. Exactly right. You read, I read it. I put it in somewhere in the middle of this list because I go, yeah, it's cool if it works, and if it doesn't work, it's nothing. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah, let's. It's it could be the biggest thing, or it could be uh, you know down there with the with the photon torpedo coffin. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So we, we just don't know how it works, how that one will work out. The hypo spray, and that's pretty cool because you know it's, nobody likes being stuck with needles all the time, particularly those who have to have it done every day. You know, if you're it actually works as well as the needle stick. Um, aside from the the uh, the non-medicinal users of needles, right. um, who I think would would you know gravitate towards this for obvious reasons, because uh, nobody wants to get stuck with a needle. Plus, needle leaves right. marks. This thing doesn't leave marks, and apparently doesn't hurt. Um, but still, the, there are virtually dozens, if not hundreds, of legitimate medical. Uh, applications where you go, yeah, we're going to put a plastic device into a vein and then use that to give you injections because the skin will heal over it. Now we just need to puncture the same part of the skin all the time. I mean, people with ports will tell you, oh, yeah, hypospray, I'd much rather have that. Oh, yeah. Well, apparently it's like a, I don't know, it, instead of being a needle goes in one point, and, of course, they you know they stick you and it hurts and everything, this thing uh, would, like, I don't know, cover about an inch of your skin or something, a square inch of your skin perhaps, and uh, it, it apparently it perforates your skin, which... Is it like a tingling sensation? It doesn't. It's not a not uh, not a terrible, painful thing. And then it just shoots the uh, through the perforated skin. It shoots the medicine. And then it, you know, you, I imagine when they take that thing off your skin, you you might be red for a few minutes or something. But that would be much preferable for people, particularly those who have to have regular injections. If that would work as well, that'd be a pretty cool thing for folks like that. So yeah, that's and even those of us who don't have to have daily injections. You know, um, that'd be that'd, plus. That, that'd be I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a medical device expert. I would think that there would be sort of tangential improvements in other devices where, if we could learn to manipulate the, the enough skin for that to be functional, maybe we're going to start to learn how to manipulate other tissue in a way that's not so invasive and not so destructive that will also be functional in a better way. Well, you know, I, it, it occurs to me that uh, you know. Uh, you can mass produce uh, tattoos that way too. <laughs> you just have you have uh, you know uh, one t- one tattoo of an eagle or something, and you just uh, load it up into your hypo spray thing, and then you know shoot shoot the person in the arm, and you're done in in 30 seconds, and with no talent needed. You're right, but the the the, the suggestion is that somehow we we need more people with more tattoos. And I just don't see the, I don't see the logic there. Uh, you know, it, uh, that's one of those things that uh, it's just uh, it's a beauty in the eye of the beholder, I guess. Uh, unless maybe maybe you'd have a, a, a tattoo now that you could put it on, and it is permanent for all practical purposes. If you don't do anything to it, it just stays with your skin forever, like current tattoo technology. But you could you know somehow use that same spray technology, and you could change it or take it off. Yeah, yeah. Now I that I could get behind. 
Um, I wanted to uh, give a shout-out to Matt Dewing. Um, he uh, is in the chat room, and he, he says that uh, the first published biography of Tesla literally, literally argued that he was from Venus. So, <laughs> I would like to see that uh, that biography. Uh, Matt, if you know the title of it, I'll uh, I'll put it up. It hasn't been written yet. Yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe not. It, no, because, yeah, it's because be, it was written in the future. It's going to be published in about twenty back. years, and Tesla's going to take it back with him. <laughs> oh man! At any rate, uh, good to see you, Matt. Um, the uh, after the hyperspray, there's telepresence. Now that's just sort of you know that's sort of been a coming thing for thirty years. I, I, I put guess that right above the Vocera badge because I live in Mac world. Yeah. Anybody who has Mac OS ten has seen iChat, and if you haven't seen it, go to the Apple store nearest you and see it there. Uh, that kind of telepresence, Mac-to-Mac, has been here for five years. Yeah, it's nothing Now, the there. fact that Cisco brings it in a, in a room where you can dedicate a third of a T1 or half a T1 to it, uh, that's great. It's a whole different thing. It's better user experience, and it's you know bigger, better. You can do a whole conference room. I get that. Yeah. But that kind of telepresence has been here. That's not new. Yeah, and uh, you know they've been using it. Uh, like Kinkos have conference areas that you know right. have a big you know TV on the wall. You have to pay out serious bucks to get it, but in the you know under the right circumstances, it's the thing to do. Um, well, I've seen the Cisco commercials, but until I saw that on the list, I assumed that it is what it is. And and then I saw it on the list, I'm like, oh, maybe it's more than what I think it is. Maybe it's, but it's not. I thought, you know, maybe they have like little holographic images running around. You know, maybe Obi Wan can send a message in 3D. No, you can't. No. <laughs> Not yet. Um, Universal translator is the tenth item. Uh, well, actually, I guess that's the eleventh item if you count the photon torpedo coffin. But the uh, for me and you, the tenth item is the Universal translator, and uh, that is a cool, cool thing. Depending on how well it works. I um, saw a. Uh, this is '08 now. So in '0. The winner of 0304, four years ago, or three years ago now, um, no, four years ago now, I saw a demo of a handheld device, probably bigger than two Blackberries, maybe about the size of a, of a VHS tape. Okay. Um, thing didn't have as many phrases as this thing is describing, and it didn't support as many languages. But it was, uh, it was basically only supporting languages that you find in remote areas of Afghanistan, and it worked. And the thing that was cool about it, although this article doesn't talk about this one that way, the thing that was totally cool is you could teach it stuff. So you're in the field using it, and if you could, by sign language or by having a, a third party translate for you, you could actually teach the device things that later, you, when you're, it's just you and somebody that doesn't speak English, um, it would still work, and it was all voice activated, and it, it was like a pretty rugged, solid little device. I was totally impressed. It sounds like it's a lot better. I you know, in, in cool factor, I put it way up there. I think it's just a matter of time. I'm with Kurzweil on this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's five years or ten years or what it is, but some guy in his garage has this beat, and it's he's the, the, that that's coming. Um, so incremental improvements there, yes, very cool. Well, you know, voice recognition is built. You know, the, the built-in technology that makes this possible is voice recognition, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Just to you know. Uh, take some load off of my typing and things, but you know, I mean, when when they get it to where you know, I'm sorry, but 90% uh, accurate is not good enough. That's they're missing one word in ten. You know, uh, when when they've got 90% accuracy, they I really need 99% accuracy before I even bother with those systems. You know? Well, and you need the accuracy in a way that the the miss is either trivial or obvious. Yeah. Right. If the miss is not trivial and maybe not obvious, 
now you can't use it because the risk is too big that it ends up producing something stupid, yeah. which I do all which, the time anyway. Even when <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, not we don't need any help, anything, right? but that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, that's the 10. Uh, I listed off the 10 there. Now, you have a problem with a couple of them, Michael. What the, the, well, the coffin we've already dogged to death. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Vosura badge, that, the communicator, the little device that you wear and can talk to. Cool device, not new. I saw it five years ago. Um, the telepresence, and I, I've had that in my, my Mac laptop for the last five years. Now, I haven't used it much, um, and now you gotta you got to jump through more hoops than you used to have to, but it's cool. It's just not new. Now, I guess um, I should ask, uh, you know, why isn't it, isn't it that we are not, why is it that we're not using video when we communicate? I mean, I, I on a daily basis, I never use it. You know, I, I mean, I've got the capability, I've got a computer here with a webcam on it, you know, but, you know, when I when I go to call somebody, I don't feel a necessity. Good question. You know, I mean, the world is that they had it. we don't really need it. Yeah. Right, that's one thing. You can we can have this conversation. We don't really need video. Right. But that's just because we're organized this way. If we had video from the get-go, we probably would be like shocked that people lived without it. Right. I guess so. Uh, I mean, I guess part of it is that you know you can call somebody at home and you don't feel bad about you know that you know you don't feel so bad about disturbing. And we're we're not organized for it either because I'm not dressed to to be you know video right now. Yeah, and. Uh, and I'm not lit right, and it wouldn't look good, and you know, there's, there's other reasons. But there was one we left off. We left off the uh, the phaser gun. Ah, yeah. This is the uh, the handheld device where, if you read the article, not the list, but the article that uh, Network World uh, originally wrote about it, they they describe it as handheld lightning, and uh, comes in lethal and non-lethal varieties. I thought, okay, now this is very cool. This is the thing I was saying, yeah, but this is based on original, the original Tesla ray gun um, where it was a, a high-energy uh, handheld or hand-holdable device. Very cool. And the thing that kills me about Network World, now here they, they include the theme coffin and they include a couple things that really aren't new. In the article, the original article about this uh, handheld lightning, which is a much better name than phaser gun, even though phaser gun does make it Star Trek-y, um, the article references something the Navy rolled out in January last year um, that they were calling the pixelated rail gun. And this is a, a gun, a projectile device, but the range is 200 to 250 miles. Whoa. Well, I mean, they how, how would they list, use it? But I'm like, that is cool. Well, how do you use it? You use it. I, it you, it's a poor man's tomahawk missile, for one. I guess so. I mean, to project force from the fleet, wherever the boat happens to be, 200 to 250 miles away by shooting a gun. I mean, even in the article, they point out about that thing. They point out that uh, that when it's in, when it's finally done and deployed, and maybe it was kind of quiet about when that would be, but when they rolled it out a year ago, it's like they have it. This is not, we're going to do this, maybe one day we'll have it. It's like, oh, no, we have it. When they fully deploy it, they're estimating a thousand bucks a shot when you to fire it. Which and like is, versus atomic missile is like a million bucks a copy. Wow! Yeah, that and so you could you could deploy that force much more economically, I guess. So yeah, I, there's that, and you can do things that are a lot less 
I mean, I don't want to get into the political debate about when's when's appropriate to use lethal and non-lethal, and when's a show of force, and when's the, but a gun of that kind of range, a projectile device, that's that's huge. I mean, well, 250 miles. I don't think you could put something in orbit with that, but it it's a big deal. <laughs> and they didn't, it didn't make the list because Star Trek didn't shoot a lot of projectiles. <laughs> well, that is cool, though. I like that. Um... Well, anyway, I, I guess we've kind of we've we've gone through that list pretty thoroughly, haven't we? Um, yes, I, want I think to my frustration has been vented adequately. <laughs> okay, well, great, great. I, you you wanted to talk about another subject we mentioned just before the show got started, and um, it's it, it involves the growing of organs. There's so put up a story about the uh, what I was calling the chia heart. Um, <laughs> you take the protein structure that was the heart get everything else off of it, and then add cells, and voila, you grow a heart. Um, How do you get cool. the protein structure of the heart, though? That sounds... Correct. I mean, you know, in order to make a million dollars, first you start with a million dollars. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, how do you get the protein structure of the heart? I guess that's the big trick. What did that do? Did you read that... Get into I, I, look through. Yeah, that. I read it. It's over my head. It's it's one of those things where if you go to the source material, you're like, yeah, yeah we gotta go get uh, we gotta go get the guy who understands the source material, and he's you know unfortunately not available. Yeah. Um, but the 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 research goal is to say, okay, if we can show that you can get these cells to basically turn on and grow the organ, then you kind of multi-track, which is the next phase now where you say, we're going to start growing other organs, we're going to grow them for other mammals, and you say, how do we synthesize that protein structure? How do we sort of artificially, or it wouldn't really be artificial so much as it would be, how do we replicate that structure without having to, you know, to make two million bu- to make a million dollars first, start with two million, and then, you know, you get a million bucks. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and withdraw. It's, yeah, um, and that's, that's where the research is going. Right. Well, and and so you start. You have that structure. You add in progenitor cells that grow within the structure and become whatever organ you you want it to be. That's uh, right. And so, you know, uh, and if and if you could do it in a way that you take the progenitor cells out of the person who ultimately needs the organ, then in that transplant universe, you can mitigate hopefully the complications that arise from your own immune system rejecting the transplant. Right, because that no longer is a factor. It really is you. Okay, yeah, and 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 that's the, that's the one of the biggest problems with being a, a transplant patient. You are a patient for the rest of your life because you're you're taking these these drugs that have, I understand, pretty rough side effects. Um, it's uh, all it's your life you to keep choose. from rejecting the organ that you've been given. That's right. It's not something you choose, but for the alternative is you have no heart. Right, <laughs> and you die. And yeah, you, you suck it up because you do it. But the the you know I, I jokingly call it the chia heart because there's no way to react. I, to me, there's no rational, useful way to react to that kind of research. Um, it's too huge. Yeah. Like, what do you say to that guy who grows a heart? <laughs> well done, you. <laughs> as, as the UK, as our UK listeners would would say, yeah, it's uh, that's that's pretty awesome. That's a big, huge, huge step. And of course, there's some things like uh, like a pancreas and things like that that have never been successfully transplanted. And so I just wonder if you could take something like this and like grow it within the patient who needed it. And uh, the, you know, tra- the 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 uh, the science well, and medicine of transplants. What you would do, I think, is if you could grow one. 
you'd say, oh, I'm in my 40s. I'm healthy. I'm good. My heart's in good shape. I'm going to grow one now. Mm. And then when I need it, Before it's available. I yeah. And it's beating away in a vat someplace and until such time as you need it. Pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That is awesome. And, you know, um, no matter how well we take care of ourselves, our hearts age. And so wouldn't it be cool if at age, you know, 80 or whenever, you know, when you get old, you could uh, you just you know, have a transplanted a 20-year-old heart in, into your body. So that would be pretty cool, too, wouldn't it? Yes. And, 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 it's, and it's your own heart, too. Good. I'm sorry? Eyes also. I'm 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 dealing with adjusting to having glasses for the first time in my life, and I, I want my youthful eyes and, well, frankly, I want my youthful knees back as well. <laughs> well, of the two, you'd probably go with knees, wouldn't you? The, uh, the uh, yes, I would. Yes, I would. Yeah, I, I figured as much. Uh, the uh, the eyes can be fixed pretty easily too. Are you a candidate for the going no, to the laser? It, basically, I'm, I'm I'm complaining about reading glasses. It's like the the lowest form of of eye correction intervention available to mankind. It's no big deal, and that's why I would, if you could give me the choice between my youthful knees or my youthful eyes, I would take my knees and a heartbeat. Well, I uh, youthful heartbeat. <laughs> I've uh, been wearing glasses since I was in what, ooh, the sixth, seventh grade, something like that, and uh, um, I don't even think about it anymore because I wear them all the time. Um, and uh, you know, it's one of those things. You know, it, I, I reach for them as I get up in the morning because I literally it, cannot see without them. Now, I mean, I, I have good, tw- I have good vision with them, but you know, talk, talk about an invention. Uh, this is not a new invention. It's been around what since. What sixteen hundreds or something like that? Eyeglasses in one form or another. Yeah. But you talk about changing people's lives. That was a huge step, wasn't it? But uh, it was. Uh, it was big. I, I'm guessing that until you know, most for literate people, it was huge. Yeah. For the illiterate who could still see distance and see other stuff, not that big a deal. Yeah. Not a lot of precision work going on in the 15th century. I can tell you, if I had to have my eyes without my glasses, it would be a big deal. I'm, wow. Literally, I would not. I would see. Uh, here's where I go being stupid without any kind of voice activation. It's just uh, you know I, I lack that perspective. Never having, never having had to cope with it. Yeah. I hope you never do. It's it, but yeah, it's not a big deal when you have the glasses. I'm just glad to have the glasses. Anyway, I, let's. Uh, I guess we'll move on to another subject. Um, we we have been covering. You know, a, a lot recently, uh, energy topics, and um, this week we I kind of I, I blogged about the race to plug in our hybrids. What we've had so far, to me, are as far as you know on the road these hybrids that we have now. It's a good first step, but you know I don't I don't know that it's it's been really worth it economically to the to the buyer of these cars. Are to are are environmentally. I don't know, you know, particularly when you're using nickel cadmium batteries. Um, not a very environmentally, uh, you know, good way of, uh, you know, th- these batteries. When they go and get the nickel out of the ground, I mean, it leaves a moonscape behind. Okay, and uh, anyway, so that, that's not really. This, this this is actually up on the blog. There was a discussion about the the toxicity of the nickel mines, but I will say that one of the uh, unintended uh, beneficial consequences of a nickel mine in Canada is that um, there's a, a, a mine shaft that goes a little over 400 feet down, um, something like 30-plus meters, and in this cavern down there, they were able to put a, a large pool of water 
it is a, nu- a neutrino detector. So you say, well, yeah, but on the Earth, on the surface, up on top, it is a moonscape, and it's a nickel mine, and it's toxic. But down there, they put it in this big tub, and they use it as a neutrino detector, and but for the shielding of all that Earth and the, the actual construct of the mine, they, you wouldn't be able to get this thing funded. Yeah. So, yeah, it's well, toxic, yeah. but we get a neutrino detector. <laughs> oh, yeah. Always looking on the bright side here at uh, Fast right. Forward Radio. But, yeah, to me, though... When, when hybrids get real and when I'll be actually interested in purchasing one is when we move to li- lithium-ion batteries, that can plug in. And why? Because the electricity we get out of the wall when we plug in is, you know, the, the equivalent amount of energy, uh, say, for that we get out of a gallon of gasoline costs 75 cents. So imagine a 75-cent gallon of gasoline nowadays when we're paying like... We grew up with that, but that's you're right. It's, yeah. uh, you think about it today... Um, and what, what are you paying where you're at for your gas right now? Uh, 279.285 is sort of the norm. Yeah, I filled up uh, my, my wife's vehicle yesterday. It was 289. And that's uh, that's you know the lowest octane available around here. Ooh, yeah, it's just uh, in and you know I think it, I think it'll get higher as you know I hate, I hate to be doom and gloom, but I really do believe gas prices are going to go up. Rather than down, um, the logic would would suggest that, that that's true, and perhaps even, uh, you know, if if we want to as a as a national uh, unit mimic some of the other national economies where they've they've reversed the positive correlation between oil consumption and economic growth, meaning they can grow their economy and consume less oil. Yeah, the two that leap to mind are England and Japan. Um, now they're in a unique situation in a sense anyway because they're island nations and you know they had to go offshore to find the oil in the first place so to force their economies to get into a situation where they could grow and expand their economy with less energy um so they have an inverse relationship to uh, energy consumption or oil consumption particularly uh, if we wanted to mimic that then of course the prices would have to go up and you know we all know that in Europe and in other parts of the world uh, many economies pay way more for gasoline than we do, and in part that's a policy decision that says, hey, we want to motivate a way to organize the economy that we're not as dependent on it. I'm not so sure we have the national will to do that. I'm not even sure that's the right answer, but um, either way, the logic does suggest, yeah, gasoline's going higher here. And uh, when it does, then it, these sort of solutions get a lot more attractive, don't they? The th- yeah, they do, and the thing that kills me um, it's uh, about the technology of hybrids. Um, I know I, I saw your your piece and lots saying, "Hey, we just want to get this first, and we want to be right." And I, I hope he's I hope he's sincere, and I hope he's got enough of the company behind him. Lutz, by the way, uh, you know, here's a guy who, if that guy's not 180 years old, he's 80 years old. I mean, he's he's pretty senior leadership over there, and right, I'm hoping right. that he's around to see this thing in the field if he's sincere. A lot of people. Uh, in the hybrid world and the electric car world aren't really as convinced that Lutz and GM in general is, is as sincere. Um, I sent it to Phil. I don't think it's up on the speculist, but I, uh, I saw a YouTube-sized uh, little video from the Detroit Auto Show that just ended last week. Uh, it was the guy who actually goes to great pains to give his exact title in this little video, and I think he's the the VP of Ops for the Volt or whatever. He's like the lead guy on the floor or in Warren, Michigan, to build the Volt. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he's the devil. 
Because he says like three times in this presentation, yeah, the battery technology just doesn't exist and there's no sense building it today. So we're hoping by 2010 we can do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I, I don't agree with it without having the technology in my living room. I can't prove it. But same week, different story, guy in Seattle uh, used a Saturn View, which comes in a hybrid version. Mm-hmm. He modified it using his own plug-in platform and says, okay, here's a plug-in hybrid. You can go 80 miles, not eight, that's eight zero miles in all electric mode. Well, for most of American commuters, and certainly in most of my daily driving, I'd be all electric. Oh, yeah, all the time. You drag around an internal combustion engine, um, and it's not clear in his description of it, partly because he was trying to pitch GM to just license his idea, but his patents do include uh, some pretty high-capacity batteries, some flywheel technology, and some ultra-capacitor technology. And I'm thinking, yeah, you put all those, all three of those together, you have a hybrid hybrid, <laughs> right? Because you have different ways of, of plugging into the electric to the grid and storing electricity and then going out to drive in the morning. But uh, I was like, yeah, th- there's other people doing other interesting things. And the guy who says, yeah, it's not there. Well, maybe it's not there at the price point you're aiming at. And that that's the part where... I'm not automotive expert enough to really do the math and go, yeah, if you've got to bring a Volt to the market for 150000 bucks a copy, forget it. That's not going to work. If you've got to hit a price point, then... They were, maybe they were actually it. aiming for a $30,000 Volt, and it looks like they're, it, it, they're going to hit 40000 which is too bad because I, I think that uh, the, that difference between $30,000 and $40,000 cuts a lot of the market out. But anyway... I'm I'm just glad to see it come to the market at whatever price initially, and of course, uh, you know, future iterations will be cheaper. But anyway, right, the okay. yeah the uh, the guy that you're talking about, the the senior leadership at GM, uh, that's GM Vice Chairman Bob Lutz, and he is championing championing the the Volt, and uh, he's calling it or, or agreed to with the reporter who asked him, "Is this your moonshot?" Yes, it is. <laughs> this is yep. this is uh, we we've, we've got a lot riding on this, and so um, I, I believe that they're completely serious about this project, and uh, and so I, I wish them well because I. You know. Well, I think we'll know. Uh, we won't have to wait to 2010 to know um, either at the Detroit Auto Show a year from now, or sometime in the first quarter next year in 2009. If we're not hearing about delays, now, well, now we think we can get it out in 2012 or 2013. If we're not hearing that kind of thing, then then sincerity is there, and they're going to they're going to field the thing. Well, and the what the final you... numbers look like, price, performance, who knows? But um, if a year from now we're hearing about delays and oh, we can't do this, we can't do that, then my confidence will be shattered. Well, they're talking about the Saturn View plug-in uh, being delivered in late 2009, and that's just right around the corner. So. Yeah, apparently they're they're quite serious about the technology. I like I, I love what Bob Lutz had to say. Uh, I love his quote. You know, he said, "There's nothing magic about this technology. Two or three years after the Volt is introduced, everybody will have something like it. We'd just like to be first for once." So that's right. He uh, he believes it's uh, you know, obviously he he considers it a race. And uh, well, for those to... those thinking hybrid, I will tell you one of the things I love about the design of the Volt. Um, is that it is serial and not parallel. By that I mean the, in this case, the electric and whatever the the combustionable storage fuel will be. It'll probably be gasoline at first, although, frankly, if it was biodiesel or some sort of diesel hybrid, that wouldn't bother me either. I'd love that. Yeah, um, me too. 
But it's, I'm a big, they work big in serial, right? So the diesel is there to charge the electric, and the electric always runs the car, as opposed to a Prius and most other hybrids that you, you can find today. Um, they run in parallel, and one side, either the electric or the gas or whatever, is used to supplement the other side under certain conditions. The serial gets really interesting when you think about the second and third generation, because now... Um, rather than, than do it by mixing the two powers, it's just the electric gets better and better and better, and whatever comes before it. If hydrogen works, doesn't seem like to me all that plausible, but if it worked, great. Then you put that before the electric, and you just use the electric to drive the car. Nothing else in the car changes. The drive chain doesn't change. The differential doesn't change. The brakes and tires don't change. All that changes is you take out the internal combustion engine and replace it with something else to drive the electric. Well, you know what? So I, like I like the fact that it's serial. I like that. Yeah, and and so it's and you have that torque from electric that that just will put your you put you back in your seat every time you you hit the well not the gas. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, I think it's still, I think Phil put it up once, but uh, the Tango um, and the Tango's got some video on YouTube, but they basically built an enclosed motorcycle. Yeah, it is a four wheel vehicle, and because of the way they built it, and they they basically get a, a NASCAR cage. Um, so they can call it a car and make it very safe, but the the, the torque test for this thing is it's off the chart. Yeah, it's, it's it's comical how much torque you can get because of the dynamics of an electric electric engine. Well, the thing I really like about the car, you know, I, and I'm hearing you on the on the serial thing. That's 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 cool. That it's all electric all the time, and so you're not having the 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 transition kick back and forth. I don't know how smooth that is because frankly I've never driven in a Prius. And that gets me to my point because the Prius looks like a piece of crap. Okay, <laughs> it doesn't look like anything I'd be caught dead in. Whereas the Volt, man, that's a sexy car. I, I would love I've to have different, that car. I've seen different pictures of what a Volt would look like, but yes, the current uh, the current, current prototype or whatever is concept. Yeah, it does look awesome. Yeah, and and I hope that they stick close to that because it looks cool. And I'd you know I'd love to have that. That's uh, I mean my my personal preference. Uh, is for convertibles, and you know, it's, it's, it's in the car market. Convertibles tend to be a small market anyway, so nobody does their first version of a car in a convertible. You're not going to see the the Volt come out in a uh, removable hardtop in its in its first go. Right. Um, but my personal preference would be something like a '53 Coupe DeVille, you know, big, boaty, curvy with no no top. But that's just me. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I mean that 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 would be cool, and a hard top convertible. I mean, where you just hit the button and uh, the top goes away. You know, I mean, how cool would that be? That'd be fun. Or you could make the the top out of that uh, transparent armor, and now, you know, you could look through it if you want. If you want to take it off, you take it off. Or you or you hit a button and it's uh, and it becomes opaque. Uh, it's uh, you you can't see through it, and uh, you can see through it when you want to. That's right. Uh, that's cool. Cool stuff. Now the the race to plugins. I think um, I think when people get over the idea of if I have to plug my car in, then I can only drive as far as my longest extension cord. When they get past that and realize that, oh yeah, I can plug it in overnight. But you know what? If I don't plug it in overnight, big deal. I turn the key in the morning and I drive away. Right. And uh, and I can always buy gasoline like I've always done. But I have the option of plugging in and getting the equivalent of a seventy five cent gallon of gas. Which yeah, I mean, that, that's a selling point for a lot of people, and people will pay more for the car 
if they know that they can get that because they can do the math. They can see, yeah, it pays for right. itself. You know, the additional price at the point of purchase pays for itself, you know, if, if gas is $3, you know, uh, it pays for itself pretty quick. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I mean, and the whole thing about uh, about going plug-in, obviously, uh, is to get us a little more energy independent. And, uh, and there's a lot of good things that happen from that. And one of the things is that we're... We're no longer dependent on these troubled spots in the world for most of our energy, and that's, you know, that's that's that was a big point that uh, Zubrin had, had made. I think we've got Phil on the line, and let's see if we can bring him in. He's traveling in time. He was obviously in our future. He came back to tell us something from the future. <laughs> uh, Phil, is that you? Yes, it is. Hello, hey. guys. How are you doing, Phil? I'm good. Let, let me explain how that works. You see, there was a possible future in which I called in. Actually, there were <laughs> there were nearly an infinite number of possible variations on when I might have called in, and now we have realized one of those possible futures. And I, <laughs> in fact, I'm well, uh, we you know, Phil, we were uh, usually we aim for an hour long show, but now that you're here, um, you know, we we can we can we can roll another thirty minutes if you want to. Well, I appreciate that, uh, guys. Actually, I have stepped out from a meeting that was called impromptu as soon as I arrived, and I'm uh, just just able to be on here for just a couple of minutes, real quick. But I, uh, I, I actually, I said I have to go make an urgent phone call because I wanted to I wanted to join and um, and see how the show was going. Okay, so give us the uh, give us the nutshell version. Cloverfield, gotta go see it on the big screen. Wait for it on DVD. Are you joking? Don't go see it. Yeah, which which uh, which uh, which camp do you fall into, Phil, on on Cloverfield? Do you guys not read the Speculist? Hello. <laughs> I, 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 I recommend what? <laughs> Thank you for the benefit for the benefit of our yeah the, the I plan to read it in the future. Yeah, oh yeah, I think you should check that up in the future. Uh, <laughs> I, I recommend it highly. Absolutely recommend it. I think it's great fun. Uh, I think it's very clever. Uh, just uh, a, a really good time. Uh, not a not a good family film. Good. Uh, Good uh, grown-up fun, and uh, yeah, you know some folks. Did you have to take your like Dramamine? Much. Did you take Dramamine before you went in? You know, I didn't notice that effect nearly uh, as strongly with uh, Cloverfield as I did with Blair Witch. Yeah. I think they might have thought about that a little bit. There definitely are moments when you're just going, "Geez, if they just hold the camera still." But uh, th- there's also quite a bit of time when you're just completely caught up in the story and you're not even thinking about that. And one of the things I wrote in my review is that uh, as you're watching this film, you're sitting on the edge of the seat. It occurred, uh, sitting on the edge of your seat, it occurred to me the reason I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and one of the reasons I think that it's so effective, is you're actually trying to get a better view sometimes of what's happening. You know, that, that frustration you get sometimes when you're watching what somebody has videotaped and it's not quite the right angle that you want. <laughs> it's, and, and they did it on purpose. I think it's, uh, I think it's really clever. That's that's high praise, and, and one of the comments that somebody put up, and I, by the way, did read your entry. I was just trying to get you onto the subject. Um, uh, somebody put up that they, they went to see it with somebody who is uh, highly susceptible to frightening films and came away highly frightened. Um, how do you <laughs> well, feel about that? Which is praise, comment? I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, if you're, it, it's a scary movie. So, if that's what you're, if, if you're okay with a scary movie, then you're going to get what. And get what was advertised. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's scary. It, it plays on real fears, which I think it, it, part of some of the criticism I, that's been leveled at the movie is that you know it's this monster movie and it's exploitive because uh, it's 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 playing on our memories of 9/11. But the truth is that that that's what the, that genre has always done. Right. If you look back to Godzilla, you know the original Japanese movie Gojira is about 
the you know dealing with the fear of nuclear war and and the fallout from 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 a nuclear war and, well, I, and I think that, all that exactly you know it it makes perfect sense that that movie would have come from Japan where they had actually been been victims of that these these monster movies are a you know a Freudian way of of playing out our darkest fantasies our darkest fear in a kind of a sort of semi safe way and I think there's you know something uh, you know, I, I would just say that a movie like that has a has a good pedigree going back to. Well, and it it also has healthy. more more relevance if you blow up New York. Uh, yeah, I get that 911 was there. Maybe there's, there's there's some sensitivity to that, but it's different if you blow up Tulsa or Colorado Springs or Dallas. It's just different. Absolutely, it is. Well, and I think that was something that maybe Spielberg was thinking of. I think he was conscious of this. You don't want to get too close to 9/11 when he made the remake of War of the Worlds, and he had all this stuff coming down in Jersey City rather than across the river in uh, Manhattan. He didn't want to draw those comparisons, and of course he was being true to the uh, Orson Welles War of the Worlds by right. having it occur in New Jersey rather than rather than in New York. But that that was one of the things where I don't know that movie might have been a little stronger had it just from an iconic standpoint had it occurred in New York rather than New Jersey. Well, Phil, I, I appreciate you taking a minute and visiting with us. Um, do you need to run now, or? Uh, well, I probably should, but uh, I, I, you know, it's it's great talking with you guys, and I'll let you uh, let you wrap up the show. Um, okay. Have a good evening. Uh, thank you very much, Phil. We'll see you guys. Bye. Okay. Bye. Appreciate him taking a moment like that. Uh, slipping uh, slipping out of a meeting. <laughs> he, this yeah, is a man who's got funny. his priorities he, right. He, He's he's hanging around with, with other guys, having a beer, talking about something else. <laughs> well, they, you know they you know, they they can give him a few minutes to make a call like that. I mean they they have him traveling all over the country on a fairly regular basis. Uh, give them give them a break. So that's you know, right. I, I do appreciate him calling in on all that. Well, I mean, I guess it's time then to wrap up the show. Uh, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, throw in here at the at the end, Michael? Uh. No, nothing that can't wait till next time or show up in print. <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, uh, we do have some music tonight. We actually have some choices. I think um, I think I'm going to go with World War Z. And <laughs> World War Z. Should I say what it's about? Nah, I'll let everybody hear it. World War Z is by the band CSHC, and I guess I'm just going to play it and let everybody hear it. I had a great time tonight. Me too. And, and looking forward to uh, uh, returning again next week. I believe we have a roundtable discussion, uh, and we'll, there'll be more on that. Uh, we'll put that up here shortly and let you all know what it's, what it's about. But anyway, that, it'll be same time, 9 o'clock, uh, well, central time. Uh, not, same time, uh, wherever it is that you're hearing us, um, next Sunday night. So look forward to seeing you all again or hearing from you all again. All right, here's World War Z. Good night. as though they were in a kind of trance, were killing and eating their victims, prompted authorities to examine the bodies of some of the victims. Medical authorities in Cumberland have concluded that in all cases, the killers are eating. Repeating this latest bulletin just received moments ago from Cumberland, Maryland, civil defense authorities have told newsmen that murder victims show evidence of having been partially devoured by their murderers. Medical examination of victims' bodies shows conclusively that the killers are eating the flesh of the people they kill. And so this 
brain becomes more ghastly with each report. It's difficult to imagine such a thing actually happening, but these are the reports we have been receiving and passing on to you. Reports which have been verified as completely as is possible in this confused situation. It is happening, and it would appear that no one is safe. No one is safe. No one is safe. I'm cutting off my phone and my Skype. Shut down my computers and I'm killing all the lights. Keep your voice low if you want to make it through the night. Keep your head down. Avoid the windows. I don't assume that we're safe because we're not. I've seen this before. Kid is going to get hot. If you brought a weapon, take it out. Show me what you got. You see him take him down. One kill, one shot. This ain't no joke. You know I always keep it real. Give yourself a gut check. Got the nerves of steel. It's going to get epic just like the tournament. Unreal. If you've been dipped in the sticks, better hide your heel. Remember that it's just as we dispense. Stick to the killing, there won't be a consequence Take a look around, absorb the evidence They're already dead, the plan ain't violence There's supposed to be another broadcast at 3 o'clock 10 minutes Yeah, I'll be there Okay, I'll be Shoot him in the head. That's a sure way to kill him. My buddy goes down, a bullet in his face. At least I got to him before he joined the cursed race. I asked for someone else to come and take his place and tell me how much longer will we fight at this pace. I see my share of war, but this is something else. I'm running and I'm gunning in circles like carousels. I fire instinctively and my nerves are raw. And everywhere I turn, I see a zombie with a bloody jaw. This is a losing battle. They're gonna eat my brain. I can't believe I'm giving up. I must be insane. I want to survive. But I can't maintain Maybe suicide's a thought I should start to entertain If this is a dream Tell me why can't I wake up My friends all died Before the military showed up I keep pushing on But I just want to give up I'm at the end of my rope And I just don't give up Helicopters coming Tanks in the street Soldiers everywhere When they're all packing heat Bullets and mortars We want to be defeat But the zombies keep coming I'm wrong to dig Round five Are you ready to lose those love handles? Do you work hard to stay in shape and eat healthy, yet you can't get rid of stubborn fat? Now there's a clinically proven way to help you look slimmer without surgery or downtime. It's called Sculpture. Sculpture's innovative procedure destroys fat in just 25 minutes with visible results as quickly as six weeks. Sculpture sounds amazing, right? Check it out for yourself by clicking on the banner or go to goodbyefat.com. 